podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Good. Hello, everybody. Lovely to be all together again. We don't take it for granted. Lots of places around the world, they can't gather like this. All kinds of crazy things going on, all kinds of tragedies. We, uh, we have so much going for us, don't we? And uh, we're, we're in Revelation, and it's a bit of a reminder and a wake-up of kind of how much we have going and maybe where we've got it a bit wrong as well. <laughs> uh, I was a bit concerned our lampstand didn't work to begin with, uh, and they had been taken away before we'd even got into it. But it's here, it's working. Uh, we'll get into that. We're in Revelation. Uh, we're, we're in a series on Revelation. We've done the first chapter. Do go back and listen. Uh, we'll try and um, go over the pertinent points, or the pertinent points. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that word was. Pertinent points. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Jesus help us, help us hear from you. Um, we're kind of in Revelation 2 and 3 today, uh, an overview of that and just focusing on the church in Ephesus. I'm going to start just by reading from scripture. It talks about blessed are the people who hear these words read aloud. And so we want to enter into that blessing of Seeing Jesus revealed. That's what Revelation's about. That's what the Apocalypse is about. This beginner's guide to the Apocalypse, it's about Jesus being revealed. Apocalypse means revealing. Uh, that's what it means. So, and I'm getting older. <laughs> Despite a massive Bible with big letters, I still can't read it. Um, It's a New Living Translation, uh, Open Bible. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen from your first love. Turn back to me again and work as you did at first. If you don't... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But there is this about you that is good. You hate the deeds of the immoral Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who is victorious will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God, or everyone who overcomes. That's just the first letter. (laughs) There's seven of them. (laughs) As I got into this, I realized I just can't do that justice in in one talk, and I I felt a a provocation from God that we're going to have to go back at some point and go over these letters. Um, and, And I think as we go on, it will become clear. 
The context is this. John is on the island of Patmos. He's in prison. He's in prison because he's not following the rules of the Roman Empire. Uh, And he's really aware of this kind of reign of terror that is going on under the emperor. And he's separated from these churches that he loves. He's a pastor. He's got a pastor's heart. He loves them dearly. And he's thinking about these cities of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And maybe as John looks across the sea from this island of Patmos, in his mind's eye, he can get a sense of what's going on, that the believers there are challenged, they are struggling, they're confused, they're discouraged, they're afraid. Because there's huge, huge pressure to conform to the emperor's edict. Many Christians, they're being harassed by the soldiers. They're losing their business. They're not able to trade. They're losing their homes. Many are actually losing their lives. This is what's going on. And on top of that, there's all kinds of weird teaching that is coming into the church and uh, immorality that is gaining footholds in some of the congregations. I can only imagine how he is praying. I'm convinced that he's pouring out his heart, he's lamenting. And we we hear that on the Lord's Day, he's worshipping. Amidst the lament and the prayers, there's worship going on. He's pouring out his heart to God. I don't know about you, but I find myself doing that more and more. Uh, One glimpse at the news headlines at the moment. It's too much for us, isn't it? It really is. We're not designed to to, um, take in this amount of bad news. We're not wired for it. We can't do it. In fact, I've noticed that we we quickly spin to the positives quite quickly. Uh, You know, the person pulled from the rubble. And um, I understand that. But what's really going on is 30 to 50,000 people are losing their lives and have died. And hundreds of thousands are grieving and wishing they were dead. And they've got no family and they've got no homes. It's bleak, isn't it? So I find myself going, God, when are you coming back? We need more of you. I'm distressed by what's happening in our nation by what's happening around the world, the exploitation, the brokenness, the wars, the earthquakes, the devastating loss of life. It was happening then, it's happened ever since, it's happening now, and we just get it in 3D on our screens. And We've got to be careful how much we take in. I think actually if we're not going to pray about it, we're better not knowing. Um, that's the position I've come to. Um, it's just extra info to deal with. So... John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And and how does the Lord respond? Well, it's probably worth noting what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't have the elders form a task force on political terror. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give John a new set of programs to be implemented in the various congregations. He doesn't call John to form a resistance movement. He doesn't give John a strategy by which Christians could slowly displace the pagans in public office. Not a bad idea, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't give John more cash for his budget. 
How does Jesus respond? He responds by lifting the cover, by pulling back the curtain. Jesus responds with a revelation, with an apocalypse, with an unveiling of an unseen reality of the present. God responds by giving John a powerful vision of who he is. That's what he thought John needed. With everything that was going on, that's what Jesus in heaven thought John needed. Yeah. And John, he'd been so close to Jesus. I, I'm, I, I've got no doubt in my mind that John wrote Revelation. I know some scholars are like, the, 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 the language is different. It's probably because he had a different scribe from when he wrote his gospel. That's probably it. I'm absolutely in no doubt that John wrote Revelation. He'd been so close to Jesus, hadn't he? We get that from his gospel. He was the beloved disciple. He must have had so many wonderful memories. Water into wine. What, what a party that was. Uh, healings. Feedings. Feasting. Incredible teaching. They'd never heard anyone like him. Did you hear him teach? Unbelievable. Incredible teaching. All the memories of Jesus as he was then. And it's probably our primary image as we have read the Gospels. And it's helpful for how we live today. But this is a new situation. One of great fear, uncertainty and threat. John needed more. And so do we. He needed to see Jesus as he is now. And so do we. So this is the instructions that Jesus gave him in Revelation 1, which we've been in the last few weeks. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he turns, he turns to the voice, the voice behind him, outside of himself, remember? This, is, this was a, 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 an encounter. And he saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle was the Son of Man. Write on a scroll, write a letter to the churches. Receiving a letter, it's not what it used to be, is it? Because kind of communication's been cheapened a little bit. It's everywhere, all the time. Um, but I've heard stories, maybe from people in, who are here today, who used to write letters to their loved ones. Is it, is it, is it, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few, some of them are a bit younger, some are definitely a bit older. And the anticipation of receiving a letter, of recognizing the handwriting, and wondering what was going to be shared. We don't get that as much today, do we? So maybe it's hard for us to imagine what it was like for this church to receive this kind of communication. John sent this to all the seven churches to be read aloud in all seven churches. And it was a big deal. It wasn't just for the institution, it was for the individuals, it was for the believers. And this is significant because it kind of reveals what Jesus thinks about what it means to be a Christian, that you have to be part of a body. You have to be connected. You can't be a Christian and not be part of his church in whatever form that is. 
And if you have a red letter Bible, um, what really struck me is these letters are all in red. We tend to think of the Sermon of the Mount as kind of the high point of Jesus' teaching, and it is while he was on earth. But now this is what Jesus wants to say while he's in heaven. And I've, I have felt a, a conviction and a, and a bit of a rebuke, but I've not read these enough. These are still his words, but these are his words from heaven to the church today and the church then. Imagine what it was like to receive that letter. Someone coming in, they're awaiting, they've heard. It's, words got to them, but they haven't got the letter yet. They know it's coming. And they're gathered like this, or maybe not quite like this, but they're gathered, waiting, and then someone comes in with the scroll. I wonder how they felt knowing that Pastor John had had this revelation and that Jesus had a message specifically for them. Nervous, excited. Bit of trepidation. Words got out. Pastor John, he's had an apocalypse. And Jesus specifically mentions our church. Seven times we hear the phrase, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven cities, seven churches, seven messages. And as we know, the number seven is this number that means completeness, fullness. So somehow Jesus is speaking to the whole church, the complete church, in every place, in every age. And it looks like, actually, across these seven churches in Asia, every major issue that the church has had to contend with then and since is raised. And some of the big questions for those who first heard that letter, and maybe for us today, is do we have ears to hear what Jesus has to say to us? And are we open to seeing ourselves as he sees us? Or will we deflect and defend and dismiss what he has to say? Or will we kind of sit and inwardly point the finger and kind of go, I hope so-and-so is listening to this, because this is definitely for them. Or we do, we do what he calls us to do, even though it's costly and humbling and hard. You see, Jesus knows. That's what comes through these two chapters. He knows what's going on. And Jesus then tells each church what he knows about them. He tells them what he likes and what he dislikes. I have this against you. He has something positive to say about each church, except the seventh church, Laodicea. <laughs> Imagine what it would be like being in that setting. Oh, ouch. He has words of criticism for most of the churches, except the second and the sixth churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Interestingly, they're the two cities that are, are under the most persecution. For those in the persecuted church, he has no critical word for. We belong to his church. We're known by him. 
I wonder what combination of those letters, and I do encourage you to read them, we'll probably come back to them. Um, what combination of those letters would be for the Church of Loughborough? Where would we find ourselves? Have a read through, see what the Spirit says. Where might God encourage you, and might, where might we be needing to turn around? Having known them, he then tells each of them what they need to do. He doesn't just leave them hanging. He talks about remember, or repent, or do what you used to do, or wake up, or open a door. He calls the church to do a variety of things, and then he makes an incredible promise to those who overcome, and I think this is central to all those letters. Facing the huge challenges he emphasizes what he's got for those who overcome, who hold fast to Jesus under the pressure, who don't compromise. And then we have the lampstands, <laughs> Jesus in the middle. It's his presence, that's what they are. It's his presence in the churches, it's his church after all. He knows what's going on, he is right there in the middle. He's still here in the middle. I love what Jackie brought. He's still here. And it's while he's standing in the middle of these seven lampstands that he dictates these messages to the churches. And probably the overriding burden through these messages is that the churches will ultimately overcome. They'll keep going. And then there's 10 promises for those who overcome listed in these seven messages. And I'd encourage you to pick them out. Um, they're all for future. They're all what he's got in store. And um, as before, I've nicked virtually all of us from Daryl Johnson. <laughs> Not claiming any of this is my own stuff. But I want to quote him here. He says, what Jesus is saying in this initial revelation, in this initial apocalypse, is that there's only one way to overcome, by having a clear vision, a purged imagination. I love that phrase, a purged imagination. God, we need you to purge our imagination at times to help us enter into this space where we see you more fully. To see the present in the light of the future Yes, but more importantly, to see the present in the light of the unseen realities of the present. What's going on now? The presence of the risen and glorified Jesus is the great unseen reality of the present. Right here, just behind this very thin veil. That's what John's communicating. In the middle of the lampstands. He's here. He's here. And they're more than letters. They're not really letters at all. They're more a combination of um, prophetic Jewish oracles and Roman edits. Edits. How do you say it? Edits? Edits? Edits. Roman edits. The king or governor began the edict, I know or I have known. That's how he sent them out across the empire. And what is clear in Revelation 2 and 3 is what Jesus speaks to the angel of each of these churches is meant for the ears of the church. The church then and the church now. 
And it's really clever. In each of the seven messages, Jesus refers to himself using the images from that first apocalypse, that first revealing. Remember Luke spoke a couple of weeks ago on the Son of Man and all the description? He picks out one of those and he uses one of those for each of the churches to emphasize who he is. And then you bring the seven letters together, you get that completeness again. And so in the letter to the Ephesians, Jesus refers to himself as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. He reiterates the message that has already gone out, but he makes it stronger. In the initial vision, most translations say Jesus has the seven stars and the seven angels. But here he says he holds them. He's got them. He's got them tight. He holds them. It's more dramatic. In the initial vision, Jesus stands among the seven churches. This time, he's walking around. Jesus has paced around the churches. He's assessed all that's going on. And now he's written his report. Across the churches, he says, I know ten times. That really came through to me, how much Jesus sees and how much he knows. He's incredibly invested in his church. That's you and me. He knows. I know. Ten times he's mentioned it. I know all about you. We get that a little bit in other parts of Scripture. I know the hair's numbered on your head, but he really does know. Four times. I know where you live, how you live, and all the things you do. He knows. He knows us, open heaven. He's not left us. He's been walking around us. So what does he have to say to the church in Ephesus? Let's just read it again. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen from your first love. Turn back to me again and work as you did at first. If you don't, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But there is this that is good about you. You hate the deeds of the immoral Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who is victorious or everyone who overcomes will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Initially, it looks like, according to Jesus, the Ephesians are smashing it. They're doing a great job. Jesus' words of commendation leave us wondering if there could be anything wrong, certainly the initial few verses. John Stott summarized it like this. The condition of the church 
energetic in their service, patient in their suffering, orthodox in their faith. What could we possibly be wrong with this church? And yet the Lord looks with those eyes of fire. There's nothing hidden from his gaze. And he discovers a great flaw, a huge flaw. But I have this against you, says Jesus. You've left your first love. He who holds the angels and the stars in his right hand, who walks among the churches, knows the real condition of our souls. He sees through the activity, all the patience, all the suffering, all the orthodoxy, and he tells the church that it's flawed at its center. Ooh, ouch. church is everything except the one thing that Jesus deserves and actually desires. I have this against you. You've left your first love. Daryl Johnson says this, throughout the Bible, our relationship with God is likened to the relationship between a bride and a groom. In the Old Testament, for example, God speaks of having found Israel and taken her for, him, for his bride. He pledged his love for her and called her into a love relationship with him. Yet Israel began to flirt around other lovers, with the gods of the people around her. And soon she was more in love with those other gods, with materialism, comfort, entertainment, financial security. She kept going through the external forms of devotion to Yahweh, but she was no longer in love with God. They stop going deeper in their intimacy and devotion with God and with each other. One of our goals of open heaven is to go deeper. Our depth really is about our first love. And I'm aware for some of us that might be true. For others, it might be we're just discovering our first love. I just think there's a whole load of people in Loughborough who are just discovering it for the first time and we need those people around us because it will help kindle and help us help remind us uh, who have been Christians for a while. Revelation 2.5, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do as you did originally. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do as you did originally. Something about remembering, recognizing our condition. Have we fallen out with lo uh, of love with God? I do actually sense that there's lots, in, lots of people in open heaven at the moment for whom actually first love is being rekindled. Uh, it's going deeper and it's spreading. But there may be a number of us who feel like, actually, no, that is me. What does Jesus say? Well, he says, repent. And do as you did originally. Repent. Confess the reality. Recognize it. Turn away from some of the things that have maybe caught our attention our, and our devotion that we've clung on to. And turn around. And then redo. Go back to the things we did originally. The things that we did at first when we first discovered it. When we devoured parts of scripture 
when we couldn't wait to be in prayer gatherings, when we loved to worship, the things that kind of kindled that flame in us. It's our advice for marriages. When we don't feel in love, go back and do the things that you did when you first connected. Work your way back into love. Act, as, act your way back into the feelings. Choose to do those actions like you're feeling in love and trust that the feelings will follow. It's the same with our devotion to God. Act our way back in. Do the things you used to do. Redo them. Light and love go together. Otherwise, unless you repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's that? Removing his presence. Because if we don't love him, that's at the heart of the church. We're just an empty shell. Light and love go together. We want to keep our lampstand. We want to keep it in the middle, in the middle of this church, in the middle of our lives. Verse 6, God hates. That's a bit strong, isn't it? God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He doesn't hate them, but he hates what they do. You see, he's jealous for our love. And what the Nicolaitans were doing, they were a sect. We don't know loads about them, but they were a sect, and they appeared to conform to the Roman culture and encourage the church to do the same. And everything about Revelation is don't conform because it's competition for that love, and God is jealous for that love. I think we're under pressure in the UK to conform to our culture at the moment. There's a quote by William Ralph Inge who says, whoever marries the spirit of the age will find himself a widower in the next. The church that marries the spirit of the age will find itself a widower in the next. The message of Revelation is don't conform. Follow your first love. Cling to Christ. And the summary really is Jesus knows what and who you really love. That's the summary of the letter to the Ephesians. What's he saying to us? How do we respond? Let the one who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And for us in open heaven, I do think there's this massive desire to go deeper. There's a hunger and a thirst. It's like God has put salt on our lips of many of us, and, uh, and he's coming around and he's wanting to put salt on a few more lips that we might thirst after him. How is our love for Jesus? Does it need rekindling? And how is our love for others? Because the two go together. Our love for Jesus flows out. Do we need to find new ways of giving ourselves away of finding acts of service, places of service, places of community and communion, uh, I guarantee we will find freedom and fulfillment in those places, is how God's wired us. I'm going to pray, and then I'd just love us just to pause for a moment. And Maybe just share with the person next to us, what is it that God is saying to us at this moment in time? Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for these letters written 2,000 years ago and yet alive and vibrant today. 
And Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you're saying to us, to us as individuals and to us as a church. We ask that you'd impress on us your commendation, what we're doing well, what you love about us. But we'd also ask that you'd impress on us where we need to make adjustments, where we need to remember and repent and redo. So we humble ourselves before you and each other and ask you to come. Don't take away our lampstand. We want it to burn brighter. We give you permission to continue to walk among us. To assess us, but also to comfort us and to heal us. To push us out into your world. Amen to these prayers, but why don't you just, um, well, why don't you just sit silently for maybe 30 seconds, a minute, and then, um, then chat with the person next to you, or just share what is one thing that God has highlighted to you today. <laughs>